Welcome, church. Do we need, did you need to be, anyone need to be woken up a little bit extra this morning? Anyone tired? You feeling like you're dragging? One person that admits it. The other is like five other people took sips of their coffee right then in that, in that moment. Because you were, you, you were, you stayed up late to watch the end of the Mariners game last night, right? Come on, raise your hands. Show of hands. Okay, four. This is why I love you. This is such a welcoming community. You can even be an out-of-the-closet Mariners fan and be accepted here. If you're newer to our community, we do welcome you. If you are looking for a perfect church, as we often say, you need to keep looking. But if you're looking for a place that you might actually fit, maybe, maybe this would be it. Uh, we are a place that you can engage and plug in and, and belong as you are coming to grow in faith, pursue Jesus coming to believe, and we're all in process of coming to believe more and more in His promises. His promises never fail. His promises stand forever, and we're going to be reminded of that again this morning as we turn to His Word, and as we have a chance to respond to His Word through more singing, through a chance to take communion together, through a chance to give. We want to be people who hear and respond. That's what we've been looking at these last couple weeks as we look in Acts in chapter 8. We see the evangelist Philip, who is one who heard God and responded to Him. In fact, it, he learned to run when the Spirit spoke. So may we be people who learn to run. If you are newer and you'd like to connect in many ways, you have a bulletin there, there's lots of opportunities to connect. Well, actually, I should say that again. If you're newer to our community and you potentially would like to connect, there may be a way for you to do that. There's many ways to plug in. So bulletin has that listed. Next week, Mother's Day, gentle, friendly reminder for you that might need to honor the moms in your life. Uh, for you moms, I'm, I'm preaching for you uh, that they, they would at least have one day because it seems like that's often all they get. So don't make it about you. Let's go. Let's do this right. And let's honor our moms uh, in our midst if we can. Two weeks is Pentecost. So that's, that's exciting. Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate really the birth of the church. It's the birthday of the church. And the Spirit came in power upon his believer, the believers that were gathered in that upper room. And so we celebrate in many ways. We, we want to honor him by creating space. We don't need to recreate the Pentecost. That was a, a one-time event for the church. But we want to recreate the posture of God's people on that day at least, and that should be an ongoing, just like we would celebrate the coming of Jesus. We celebrate on Christmas, but we celebrate, hopefully year-long, we celebrate the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus on Easter weekend. We Hopefully we celebrate that all year long. We also want to celebrate the coming of the Spirit on a special day as we celebrate that and give honor to Him all year long in our regular rhythm. So 5 o'clock on that evening, we're trying to recreate a heart that is, is waiting upon the Lord, is seeking the Lord, has, is essentially unscripted. We'll come with some scriptures and some prayers, and I invite you to do the same. But most of all, come with a longing and a hunger to hear from the Lord, to worship Him fully, and I hope with an expectation. That early church gathered with an expectation that God was going to do something. He had promised and He was going to fulfill, but it was still uncertain in their midst. And that's the response and the heart that we still want to have. We were praying about it this morning in the upper room. Lord, give us that heart that is expectant because you have promised, you have spoken, but we are still waiting for the fulfillment of all that you want to do. 
And we are open, Lord. Make us more open. So that's kind of the heart and the attitude. I invite you to come 5 o'clock in two weeks for an additional chance to connect and plug in. I'd like to pray for the kiddos as they head out, and then I'll invite Pastor Craig to come read from Acts 8, and we'll dig in. Father, we pray for our, our new shoots in our midst, these little ones, as they are growing up. I pray they would grow as Jesus did in wisdom and stature. Lord, thank you for those that are going to teach, care for, love, direct, point to you today. Bless them. Give them extra measures of your grace, wisdom, and patience that the word becomes alive for their ears and their hearts. And may you do the same in our midst, Lord. The word becoming alive to us. Speak to us, Lord, we ask. We give you this, these next moments that you would be glorified and that we would find our joy in you and our hope in you. In your name we pray, amen. Kids four through fourth grade seem to know who they are, but if you're newer and a guest with us, you're welcome to follow along. Pastor Craig, read from Acts chapter eight for us today. So, following along in the footsteps of uh, Chris Usher, who did such a great job with this passage, last week we're going to read this again. The passage is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through verse 40 through the end. And if you need a Bible today, there's those black uh, Bibles in the racks in front of you there. You can find this passage on page 917. Um And for anyone who doesn't have a Bible, feel free to take those. That's what they're there for in part. And for all of our kind of regular attenders, if you ever see anyone that doesn't have a copy of the Word, uh, please, please make sure you put one of those in their hands. That's, again, what they're there for. We have um, reserves. We constantly replenish them. So please, let's get them out. So again, Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they, went, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, 
and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We entered this passage last week, I said, kind of through the side door as we looked at Philip's responsiveness to God's leading in his life. Whether an angel that showed up and spoke or the spirit that directed him to the chariot, Philip responded, he obeyed. And it was all the more amazing as we kind of peeled back that, what, what does that look like? How, I mean, if an angel spoke in, in, in my life or in our life, of course I would obey and maybe we'd be wrong to quickly assume that it would be easy to do so. But we're not told whether the Spirit spoke with some form of audible voice or whether Philip was so in tune with the Spirit walking with him that he knew when he heard. He knew when he sensed that the Spirit was saying, that chariot. And we looked at the contrast of his obedience to the angel, and yet when the Spirit spoke, he ran. And our prayer was, Lord, let us be so in tune with your voice. We so know it intimately like sheep with a good shepherd that we follow when you call, we go. When, you, when we hear you, we move. Teach us to walk with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, that we might one day learn to run. And that's where we left last week with Philip as an example. Pastor John sharing how their family has heard God's voice and leading and stepping in faith to follow Him, waiting for the clear chariot to run toward This morning I want us to enter this passage again and perhaps it's through another side door or a back door and maybe we'll come out the front door and if that analogy doesn't work for you then just forget it. But I warned that we would be entering as the eunuch and yet here you are so you must not have been listening. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. This is verse 27. Queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure and he came to Jerusalem looking to worship the one true God. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. Now we have to unpack this a little bit, and yet we don't know anything else about this man. We don't even know his name. We meet him here on this road. We never hear from him again. The same is true for Philip. He meets him here for the first time on this road, and the Lord takes him away, and he's never heard from again. Their paths don't seem to cross again. But what we can know in these couple lines here that certainly Philip had gathered from that brief conversation and passed along to to someone who passed along to Luke, and Luke is recording it for us. This man was a fairly prominent royal official in the court of the Ethiopians, serving the Queen Candace, which is a general name for uh, any of the rulers in that era. But think... Secretary of the Treasury, Minister of Finance, or CFO of a large corporation, had a high position of prominence and authority, and actually was likely a, it was likely a prosperous position as well. He seems to be traveling in his own chariot, at least that's how Luke says it, he was seated in his chariot, which alone should make us aware of his prominence or his prosperity. If it wasn't his chariot, he had the means to at least hire it or the relationship with the queen to borrow it for an extended time. Ethiopia didn't quite have the same boundaries as it does today, but it was still northern Africa. It was still well over a thousand miles from present-day Ethiopia to Jerusalem. 
And here he was in his chariot on the journey, actually had already journeyed there, was on his way back. So he's been traveling probably for thousands of miles in this chariot. That takes a long time. Whether it's his or he has the means to hire it or he was relationally so connected that he could ask that kind of a favor from his queen. Either way, it puts him in a position of prominence, authority, respect, and likely prosperity. Because in those days, almost everyone walked. Wealthy people rode donkeys. War generals were rode horses, but only the truly prosperous or the royal had access to chariots. But this man is not royalty, he's a eunuch. If you need to look that up, I'll let you do that on your own time. It's possible that he willingly became a eunuch to gain this prominent position. There is record that some did that. To have that kind of access to the queen, to the royal court, and to be fully trustworthy these men were forced to or must be required to become eunuchs. More likely, the former. At some point early in his life, he was being groomed for this position, like a slave, forced to become a eunuch. So having something stripped from him that is truly barbaric, one of his truly most basic human rights taken, perhaps he lived his whole life dealing with that shame, seeking to overcome that, If that was done at a young age, it would have severely impacted him in development, hormonally. Perhaps his whole life he knew what it was like to be looked at or spoken of as lesser. Not a man. Insignificant. And yet he's risen to this prominent position. Perhaps his whole life longing to fill this void that cannot be filled by any position or any prosperity or any authority. And so he's continuing to seek, perhaps seeking for answers, answers from this one true God, this creator God that he's come to hear about. Perhaps he's looking to confront this God. We're uncertain. We don't know the behind the scenes story. We can only guess. We can only wonder. But we can enter the story. We can, probably each one of us, resonate in some way with feeling like we don't quite measure up, feeling like we're looking for something more, longing for either position, authority, power, or prosperity, which ultimately will never fill and never satisfy. We find ourselves on a journey. We don't know whether he came to acquire this portion of Scripture or through the royal courts came to acquire even more of the Scriptures of the Jewish people. But he was reading from Isaiah. It's possible that he acquired it while he was in Jerusalem. We don't know. We don't know whether this was a lifetime dream of his to one day make it to the temple in Jerusalem and worship the one true God. But he's on a pursuit. He's searching. He's seeking. He's missing something deeply in his life that he's longing to be filled. And in that we can enter as this eunuch, those circumstances in life are very different. Heart is very similar. What did he find when he made it to the temple? I think it's very important that we hear that he's on his way from the temple, not to the temple. Why? For a couple reasons. Had he made it to the temple in Jerusalem, when he made it to the temple in Jerusalem, he would not have been allowed entrance. One, he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was an outsider. But more severely than that, he's a eunuch. By 
Deuteronomy 23, I don't have it here on, on the screen, it's a passage that's not easy to read, but you can read it. It's God's Word, after all. But it forbid eunuchs to even enter into that court. He was denied access to true worship. And wondering if he even knew that before he went on the over thousand mile journey. If he didn't, then he arrived at the temple hoping to engage this one true God, Yahweh, that he's heard about, to worship him or to confront him one way or another, and he's disallowed. And once again, finding that something that he found his whole life to be true. You don't quite measure up. You're outside looking in. You are lesser. What's amazing is even after that experience, whether he knew it or not, not being allowed, being that close to the presence of God and being told no, he's on his way home on the thousand mile journey, still reading the Scriptures, still longing, still looking, still trying to make sense of something that's missing in his life. That's the heart that is spiritually hungry and thirsty. It's a heart that God has been pursuing and drawing to Himself. In that very moment, He had no idea what God was at work doing in His life. In the next, it became abundantly clear. Because of Philip's faithfulness to God's prompting, to God's voice, to God's leading, this Ethiopian eunuch has his life transformed. He sees that God has been pursuing him. Isn't that the most amazing, maybe powerful message of this passage. This man that was clearly pursuing God. In fact, God was pursuing him even more. A man in search of God. God in search of a man. It's the whole story of Acts. It's the whole story of Scripture because it's his story. God's love and pursuit of the lost. Even and maybe especially the last and the least. The ones who recognize they have no ability and no access to a holy God. Maybe even told so. You're not worthy. You don't measure up. You are on the outside looking in. You do not belong. God rewrites that story through Jesus in the redemption of the lost, the last, and the least likely. Lost people matter to God and He wants them saved. It's one of our core convictions as a church and as a movement within the Alliance. For a man who could never reach God in his own efforts, even his best efforts, God comes and finds him. And in that, I hope we see that we are no different. We are the last, the lost, and the least. I am. And until we come to see that and put ourselves in that position, we have not begun to understand the power the awesomeness, the depth, and the reach of the Gospel. We've been singing a song, the amazing, reckless love of God. We even sang about it this morning. His love will pursue us. And even if that's your story now, in this season, it's why you find yourself sitting in a little chapel on a little hill on a hard turquoise pew. Is it, could God be here even if that's your story now, for the rest of us, it's been our story. 
a pursuit of God, a searching, a seeking. But what we need to see is that God is actually pursuing us. God has been loving us. God's pursuit is the initiator in our life, not us. We are merely responding to Him. And so whether God has sent us a witness, like a Philip, whether He sent us His Word in some way, whether through a vision or a dream, whether through a revelation of something that He's created or made, whether through the life circumstances that we have lived and experienced, not coincidences, but God incidents, through the family that He chose to place us into, whether good and blessed would be the primary words you would use, certainly for no one, they would be the only words that we use when it comes to our family, or whether hard, painful, and difficult are the primary words you use. God ordained that it would be. And you find yourself here or listening within reach of His voice, His Word. He is loving and He is pursuing and He has not stopped. And if that's your story now, maybe this is your desert road chariot moment where things start to click and where you're reminded of God's incredible reach orchestrating all things in your life. It's ultimately what Isaiah 53 teaches, which is amazing that he's reading this portion of Scripture out loud at the very moment that Philip runs up to the chariot, as if God can't orchestrate the finest details. Isaiah 53 is probably the preeminent messianic promise in the Old Testament. There are many, but it's almost every part of Isaiah 53 is quoted somewhere, either by Jesus or His disciples or the apostles in the New Testament. And this is the portion that he's reading. I was reading a a story this week of a missionary in more modern times, I believe it was in Jerusalem, distributing literature. And he was arrested for distributing Christian literature. And when he gave his defense and he brought out the, the tracks that he had made, it was simply Isaiah 53. Nothing more, nothing less. It was their scriptures that he was distributing as a believer in Jesus He believed that the Word of God, Jesus' Bible, was enough to lead people to faith. The Ethiopian needed a little encouragement, needed a little enlightenment, and Philip was there ready to give witness and to open up his eyes to the truth and power of Isaiah 53. In summary, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, but God has made a way. And there's another sheep in Isaiah 53, the Lamb of God. And this is the passage he's reading, verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, is this Isaiah, is this the prophet speaking of himself or someone else? If that's not like a softball question for an evangelist, I don't know what is. And Philip opens his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, right where he was, he begins to unpack the Gospel. This is the Gospel. We have gone astray. Another has died in our place. We have despised and rejected 
the one true God, the Lamb of God, He becomes despised and rejected for us. We deserve death. He died for us. Even in our very best efforts to reach Him, to find Him, we are still excluded. It's still not enough. We need another in our place. And so Jesus, like the great high priest and the atoning Lamb, has created access for all, all who would come to Him. By His wounds, we are healed. Not only are sins forgiven, but infirmities, sickness, brokenness is all restored in Jesus. So the eunuch's heart had been open, now his eyes are open. He had been blind, now he starts to see. And he puts his faith in Jesus. Just waiting for the clarity of that moment. God had been writing that story in his heart, and now he's fulfilling it through Philip's faithfulness. Think back. For some of us, we need to think back a ways. For others, more recently. Think back of God's love and pursuit of you. The moment or the season in life that your eyes essentially were opened. When you really for the first time understood what it meant to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And He did. He rescued. He redeemed. He healed. Continuing a journey that continues today of now growth in Him to know Him more fully and worship Him more completely. But think back to that moment. Every one of us was on some kind of journey, finding ourselves in a desert place, having been told, you're not enough, you're not good enough. Seeking something that we would never ultimately find because we didn't even know what, and now more specifically, who we were looking for. And God came and rescued us. And perhaps for some or even one this morning, this moment, May 6, 2018, is that desert moment. You have been on this journey looking for something that seems fleeting and is never enough. Even the things that you've attained to fulfill that have not been enough. Perhaps this is that moment. So if it is, let's go find some water. Because that's what happens next in the story. Got a pitcher here, we can fill it up. I find it striking and amazing, verse 36 and following, they're going along the road. I'm gathering they have been together for some amount of time here, doing a little Bible study and interacting, but certainly the Ethiopian is ready and he's responsive, and so he sees water. I'm not, I don't believe this is necessarily the Spirit prompting him to do it. Somehow he's either read this part of Scripture or there's a couple allusions to this in the Old Testament, but not very clear. So I'm assuming that Philip, as he was giving testimony of what Jesus had done, the transformation that happens spiritually and the joy they had in baptism to symbolize that, the Ethiopian looks over and sees some water and says, why not me, why not now? And so they do. And he's baptized. And he comes up rejoicing. And that's how we leave him. The last we ever hear of this man. Rejoicing in what Christ has done in his life. And so, again, the eunuch teaches us something powerful in his obedience and his joy. Right Here's a man who has never 
heard the gospel, has maybe never heard the name Jesus, there is no way he could have possibly understood the depth and significance of the symbolism of baptism. He must have still had a thousand questions about God and his story and this Jesus that he's just now hearing about. And none of that stops him from responding with obedience and joy. And if that doesn't rebuke all of us, I'm not sure we're listening to the story or engaging our heart. Because I want this to be true, and I still long for this to be true, and I still must pray for this to be true of my life. That I would respond to God's Word and His Gospel with obedience and joy. Not with delay and wondering and questioning and doubt and dragging feet. Not with grumpiness or gloominess or counting the cost every time, but obedience and joy without hesitation. That when God speaks, whether it's through His Word that opens up my eyes or my heart, whether it's through another who should not have known what I needed to hear and somehow said exactly the thing, or whether through the Spirit within me, when God speaks, that I would simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord, without the hand motions. Obedience and joy. Sorry, that was a 1990s youth worship bad joke. A moment on Philip. Because both the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip instruct us in powerful ways their obedience and their joy to follow God, to find their joy and their life in Him. Last week we did focus on Philip and his faith, discerning God's voice, responding when he called. We talked about what it is when God calls us, how do we respond when God calls us away from a place of fruitfulness? You might say abundance, good, all life's good. But God seems to be moving me. Why would, he, why would He move us from a place of abundance and prosperity to a desert place? Even if it's for a short season. Remember, the Spirit led Jesus for 40 days into the desert. The Spirit. To be tempted. God's call and His leading is not, not always to a place of greater, more, ease, Comfort, and yet it can fully be His will. How do we say yes, Lord, like Philip, when He leads in that direction? First, we've got to know His voice, because if we know His voice and we know who is speaking, then we say yes, Lord. We're a sheep following a shepherd, because He would only lead us to what is good for us. Maybe not easier, but good for us. So how did Philip come to know His voice? He knew the Word of God. He so knew God's Word that when the Spirit spoke, who wrote the Word, it was resonant. It was harmonious. He didn't need to pause and pray about it. He would run to what God was doing. You know, the Bible is not difficult to understand as long as we know one thing. That it is all about Jesus. We sang about it earlier. 2 Corinthians 
all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And that's why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All the promises of God, everyone through Scripture, find their yes, their fulfillment, their amen in Jesus. It only makes sense in Jesus. The Bible is one story. It's God's story. His story. It's amazing to me that Philip preaches just like Stephen had. Stephen preached just like Peter and John had. Paul would come and preach just like them. It's as if they had been taught by the same rabbi, the same teacher. Jesus said in John 5.39 to his fellow Jews, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And in verse 46, if you had believed Moses you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Pretty powerful statements. There's a reason that they would continually try to arrest him and put him to death for this kind of blasphemy. He was clearly, unequivocally claiming to be the meaning, the fulfillment of all Scripture. Luke 24, verse 27. This is what Philip is essentially doing with the Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus had done it with his disciples on the Emmaus Road, another desert road. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to his disciples in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. That's the way they taught. That's the way they now saw Scripture. Their eyes had been opened to see it clearly. We could take this book and randomly open to any page. I don't, I don't recommend this as a form of Bible study or God speaking to you. I think He can. I don't necessarily recommend that. But we could open to any portion and get to 2 Kings chapter 6. The axe head recovered. And we can get to Jesus very easily. By the way, this is Jesus' Bible. And if it's all about Him, then we're either going to find a law or a promise that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. We're going to find a person who becomes a type representing Jesus. It's always going to make us long for, because they all are fallen and fall short, under the grace of God, it's going to make us long for a greater deliverer, a greater leader, a greater prophet, priest, King, judge, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. We're going to find a story of sin and rebellion and brokenness. Second Kings. On and on. Earthly kings and earthly powers are not enough. God's people go astray. It's broken. There's justice and judgment, but God is not done. There's a greater king. There's a true righteous one coming. He will assemble. He will redeem. He will call home. He will establish His kingdom. Now some passages of Scripture, we can mine. We truly have to get out the shovel and the pick to dig and to mine to find those gems that reflect and shine Jesus. And other passages, we simply need to hold up and examine. Isaiah 53 would be one of those where the gem is sitting on the front of the page. I'd recommend two resources 
to begin your competency in seeing all of Scripture as fulfilled in Jesus and about Jesus. One, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones. It has lots of pictures. That would be probably good for many of you. Two, Jack Klumpenhauer, Show Them Jesus. Also a kid's book, slightly different because it's directed at Sunday school teachers. But ultimately, I love the way he articulates how to show Jesus through every page of Scripture. I recommend those two. I think those are good starting places. I'm sure when Philip heard that this eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, he began to smile, if not salivate, at the chance to proclaim the gospel. The question would be, what bridge to take? Jesus has his human rights stripped from him. He is despised and rejected by men, yet he willingly gives himself for the redemption of all people. Jesus is the new temple. The new dwelling place of God on earth with men. And through His death, the veil was torn. Access is given to all. There's no separation any longer. For you, even a eunuch, have access to a holy God. To the presence of God and the healing power of God in your life. By His stripes, you are healed. Not just your sins, but the promise of all brokenness and all infirmity healed in Jesus. So which bridge to take? Maybe all of them. It says he began with this scripture and began to unpack even more. So he certainly went to other scriptures. I wonder if he said, hey, flip over to, well, there weren't chapters then. Flip over, unroll the scroll a little bit more. Unroll the scroll a little bit more in our chapters here. Isaiah 56, verse 4. Hey, read, read right here. Read what this says. And the eunuch reads, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house, within my walls, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. Wow. For a man that was so close to royalty, but that could never be his reality, for a man who was so close to God, just outside the temple, but was denied access, God's promise in the very portion of Scripture that he is holding and reading, God's promise that is fulfilled in Jesus, is the way is open to you. And not just open, but you are being pursued, and you are being given a name that is greater than even a son and a daughter. You are royalty. The Apostle Peter would pick up on this same theme when he wrote to both Jews and Gentiles. In 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I wonder if Philip said anything similar to that to this man. 
I said we'd enter the story as a eunuch. How do we exit it as an evangelist? How do we leave as Philip? Knowing God's Word, hearing His voice, responding to His call, looking, looking for the fertile soil. In some ways, it's our lifelong pursuit as a disciple to know God's voice and respond to Him. To learn that. But let's take encouragement from Philip. Philip had been a Christian for months. Not years. Months. Faith-filled risk does not require a doctorate. Being a witness for what God has done in my life does not require a bachelor's degree. In fact, Philip was no bachelor. Acts 21, we find him with his four daughters in Caesarea. Philip was a deacon of the church who served on the church board, whose primary role was to visit and care for the widows in his community. That's Philip. And he becomes used by God in some of the most powerful ways because he was willing, because he said yes when God gave opportunity, when doors opened. That's how we leave as an evangelist. We say yes, Lord, to the opportunities He gives. Beginning with the willingness to serve the last, the lost, and the least. The widows, the Samaritans, the Ethiopians in our midst. Who are they? Who do they represent? Are they the immigrants, the refugees, the homeless, the disabled, the children, the elderly, the orphans, the widows, the infirmed, the prisoners? Who were the overlooked, the unseen? Who were the outcast, the marginalized? We must see them if we are going to go to them or be sent to them. We must hear them if we are going to speak with them of Jesus. It begins with the posture of our heart, the willingness to see, the prayer, Lord, help me see, for eyes that are blind and hearts that are often callous, Lord, soften and open. That I may see if an opportunity exists. Are we going into those fields? Are we pursuing those fields? Even those desert places? Or are we sitting and waiting for persecution and trial to come to scatter us and make us go? Philip is faithful to go, preaching as he went. We are the seed sowers. By the way, the Word of God is that seed, according to one analogy given in Matthew by Jesus. And that seed bag that we have to sow, like farmers that scattered his seed, it does not run out. That doesn't mean we don't also look for the good soil to, t- to plant it in, the tilled soil. And that's what Philip does. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching, he's giving witness to God through Jesus, power of the Spirit. But he's also looking for the fertile soil, the ones that God is directing to and sending to that are asking, that are seeking. Jesus said of the, his Samaria, look up, the fields are white for the harvest. They looked up and probably saw nothing. Maybe that's how we look into this community, into our workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our schools. We look and say, Lord, I see no fertile soil. I don't see anyone reading aloud your Scripture asking, what does it mean? Could someone tell me? 
So Lord, give us Your eyes because You said the fields are white for the harvest. I'm not seeing what You're seeing. Prepare my eyes. Prepare my heart. Till my heart, Lord, as You till the hearts of those lost, last, and least, that I might so faithfully and effectively that we might see a harvest that we know is Your heart, Lord. The fulfillment of Jesus' words is continuing in Acts 8. We've said this repeatedly. Acts 1.8, Jesus' final words, You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, the surrounding region, even in Samaria. Those that, don't, that seem like the least and the, the last and to the ends of the earth. That's the way we see Acts progressing. The wind of persecution has come and the seeds are being scattered. And at minimum, this Ethiopian eunuch becomes, if not the first African believer, he's the first prominent African believer in Jesus. And from his platform and his influence, the opportunity to witness for Jesus would have been magnificent. We don't know the rest of the story Except, we know that some of the earliest church fathers, Cyprian, Tertullian, Augustine, were African. The fulfillment of Acts 1.8 is continuing today. By many, if not all, estimates, there are more Africans coming to Jesus today than in any other continent in the world. The fulfillment of Acts 1.8 is happening today as it was then? Do we see the fields that He's sending us to or has sent us to? Imagine if you said to Philip, who knew that promise, you will be my witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Maybe he knew it better than anyone because he's the one going and doing that very ministry. If you could have shown up on that desert road with him that day and brought him a globe and somehow figured out how to explain that this was actually the size and the scope and the shape of the world. Philip seemed like a pretty open-minded guy, so if he came to recognize that and you said, here you are, right there, Philip, and we just squished all of Palestine because that's how big the world is, and then you took another finger and you plucked it on Seattle or the Pacific Northwest, and you said, in 2,000 years, there will be people coming to know Jesus and proclaiming Jesus all the way over here. One day we can ask him what his response would be. But Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled in our very midst. God has planted us here. He sent us here to the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean he won't call and send and move you from one place to another that we would be like a greenhouse, that we are growing deep roots in Christ to be prepared for whatever field He may call us to. But for right now, you are planted, you are rooted somewhere. In a community, in a neighborhood, in a church, in schools, in nonprofits. What is your field? Where is God sending? How will He fulfill His promise that we already see Him fulfilling from these early days? God prepares the soil of hearts. He germinates the seed. He causes the growth. But He's called us to be the seed sowers. To be ready and willing and faithful. To know His Word and His voice. To keep in step with the Spirit. To see the fields with His eyes. 
So if we've come in this morning as eunuchs, maybe needing the reminder of His love and pursuit and salvation of even us, and that's how we worship now in response, may we leave this place, go out these doors as evangelists. Just like the eunuch who said, I want to tell everyone what Jesus has done for me, and no, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know. May we be evangelists like that as we go and look for what He has for us. Invite the team to begin to make their way to the front to lead us in response. Here's a prayer that I wrote. Lord, help me see as You see the fields white for the harvest. When You tell us to go across the road, tell us to run. Teach us to run. Prepare hearts to receive and prepare our hearts to go. Lord, may it be for Your glory and for our joy. Remind us of Your salvation and send us for the hope of nations. As we respond today with a chance to sing, we want to hear God's Word and respond. The table is also open. There's elements there in the back. If you've been on a journey, we don't have water in this room, but if you want, we can go find some today and it's a nice day out there. There is no reason to delay to celebrate what God has done to join in an incredible legacy. If you've never been baptized, maybe today's the day. I'll get wet with you. But until then, in these moments, and for those that have been baptized, we are reminded of what Christ has done. We are reminded of His broken body. We are reminded of His shed blood. We are reminded that though we should have had no access, He has given us access. And we give thanks, we remember, we celebrate, we worship, and we ask, Lord, help. I still need Your help. I still need Your forgiveness. I still need Your grace. And we receive anew. So anytime as we sing, you are welcome to the table, whether this is your church home or family or not, if you're desiring to follow Jesus, even if you've never come to a communion table before, you are welcome today if you're desiring to follow Jesus and to know Him more fully. So come. And we have a chance to give. Our ushers will pass these little velvet bags. I'm not sure why we have them, but we do. And you can give generously. I pray you would. I pray you would join in what God is doing here in our region and to the ends of the earth. As an Alliance Church, we get to participate in that kind of Acts 1-8 work. It's a hallmark for us. But if you're newer to our family, don't give until you come to see God's calling you to engage in that work. And maybe He will today. So let's respond in all the ways He wants us to respond. Eric, team, lead us on.